This is a production of Cornell University. Thanks, everyone. Uh, this is episode five of the Cornell Turf Show this year. Uh, excited to have our guest on today. You, uh, those who have watched or listened to the show will remember Dr. Sean Askew from Virginia Tech. Uh, he's joining us on vacation in his car today from a pet pet golf course. So, uh, <laughs> Frank, we've made it big time. We can get Sean on his vacation uh, in a car to join us and, and talk about turf. So we're excited to have Sean on the show today. Uh, but, but Frank, I'll throw it out to you as our West Coast correspondent today, uh, coming from Oregon, a couple time zones over. Uh, Frank, how are you doing this morning? What do you got planned for I'm us doing today? good, Carl. Trying to get on Eastern time. Yeah, I was out here uh, visiting with some of the folks at Oregon State University, looking at uh, some of their annual bluegrass stuff and, and walking around some golf courses, uh, looking at some absolutely spectacular annual bluegrass. If you want to see annual bluegrass, uh, this is definitely the part of the world. And of course, Driving through the Willamette Dammit Valley, uh, you know, you're in the grassy capital of the world uh, out here. So it's been a great visit. But let's get started because everybody's making their first cuts um, and everybody's excited about that first sharp line that they can make, hoping they can keep it up uh, throughout the whole season. But I think for those of us that have worked in this business a really long time, there's something that signifies the, the growing season. A lot of people were uh, tweeting about uh, the various first cuts. Uh, many, uh, obviously, down uh, where Sean is, have been cutting already. But, but for now, um, we're just getting going. Now, you know, again, dogs is always a great way to start when you're looking for a smile or, or really uh, want to break your heart a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a new guy joining the team uh, on the left, and Mark Pryor just lost uh, his uh, his goose chaser Sadie uh, recently. Mark's a golf course superintendent, and I know. Well, former golf course superintendent that I know up in Ontario, Canada. And, you know, a lot of people uh, tweet about these things. Uh, this is, again, one of those areas I love seeing golf course superintendents uh, getting a share. Now, uh, last week we didn't have the show. We were at Yanandasis for the walk and talk. It's hard to believe that was already a week ago. And this is what it looked like. Uh, completely buried in snow. And the great reveal, right, looking under these, uh, these were the permeable covers because the impermeable covers have had already been taken off. So we had a great discussion about uh, the a two cover system. They caught, they cover all 22 greens out there. It's really a, a fascinating operation. And Chris is passing it off to Steven, but you know, the big reveal, right? We got to see the green grass and then, you know, this whole deal, right? This somebody's going to find out who this person is and there's going to be help to pay uh, this anonymous Augusta in the uh, in honor of the Masters, which I hear is going to get some really crappy weather uh, this past this coming weekend. So you know if it gets, it's going to be cool. So that and cool and wet. Uh, so it could be a very interesting week. But again, you know the big reveal. So Carl, as I pass it back to you, we got a big reveal today. Let's see. Let's hear about it. Yeah, Frank, that's a beautiful transition. Big reveal for us. Uh, we, we've, uh, for, again, people who've watched and listened to the show for a while, you'll recognize this poster on the left, this golf course sustainability practices poster, right? We've been talking about pars, birdies, eagles for a couple of years. We did the segments, right? BMP's tips of the day. In the last year, we've spent uh, really sort of curating a next level resource, a companion document to that poster. Uh, and that's what we're calling a golf course sustainability handbook. Uh, so we just released that online yesterday. There's a QR code up here uh, oh. for those watching on the screen. Yeah. Uh, and I'll send I'll send a link in the chat as well. Um, but really, Frank, what we've done with this is go into a next layer of detail. So we really talk about each practice. We pull it out, give it its own page. 
Uh, we, we talk about why it's important. And we really sort of tried to make this quick, you know, bullet points, really easy to read, right? You'll see a lot of space on the screen. We worked with graphic designers. Mia's been great sort of laying these pages out to look nice. Uh, we've got icons there that indicate the seasonality, right? So when should we do a practice, spring, summer, fall, or winter? Um, and then one of the things we were very intentional about, uh, intentional about, Frank, was addressing some of the hurdles or the barriers to adoption. So when we went out and surveyed a bunch of superintendents uh, really three years ago now, uh, something like, for example, soil moisture meters, what we've got up on the screen here, that panel, uh, we heard from them, hey, there's a couple you know, things that, uh, that you, they told us, hey, here's why I don't do this. It's, it costs a little bit and, hey, I can irrigate perfectly fine without a soil moisture meter. Uh, so we really try to acknowledge that throughout the handbook and we say, hey, uh, we understand you can be a great waterer, right, a great irrigator without a soil moisture meter, but try and, try and talk about some of the other benefits, right? If you've got two or three people going out and hand watering on greens, they're going to see things differently. They're going to react to things differently. One person may see a little bit of drought and, oh, they're going to hammer it for 10 minutes. Another person might say, hey, we're good for the rest of the day. Soil moisture meter and here's you know what, what we're saying in this pro tip is, Hey, that gives you a way to normalize all that, right? And make sure you're consistent across the property, even between people. Um, so when we talk about, you know, who, who this document is for, right? It's for the superintendent. You can get that awareness. You can learn sort of understanding of each BMP, why it's important. Uh, but we also think it can be used by the staff, right? You can throw this thing on your, uh, on your break room, right? The lunch table, people can flip through it, just like there's other magazines out there. And they can learn some new things, you know, here's why we're doing X, Y, and C on the golf course and why it's important. Uh, and then maybe it's important for the golfers in your membership. You can use it as a communication tool. Um, so again, some of the hurdles and barriers to adoption, things like long grass areas, cutting down on water and fertilizer in the roughs, right? That's Those are always sort of barriers that the golfers and the membership are driving. Uh, as a superintendent, if you can go and give this booklet, hey, Cornell and the New York State P2I Center, hey, they're telling us maybe we should do it this other way. Maybe that gets you over the hump, uh, helps you reduce that resource use. Um, and then the final part, Frank, is, is keeping score, right? Keeping that metaphor of golf, uh, seeing how you stack up, right? At the end of, uh, at the, end of the document is basically a scorecard, right? You mark, you mark down how many of these BMPs you do, and then you can see where you stack up. Are you a BMP beginner, intermediate, advanced? And again, we're acknowledging not everybody is going to do all 34 BMPs in here, right? We didn't see that in our first survey. We're probably not going to see that in, in, simple, uh, you know, in further surveys, but uh, really sort of putting a number to what you're doing is going to motivate you just sort of internally. Hey, I, I did an 11 out of 34. Hey, maybe there's a couple more pars or birdies I can knock off and, and up my score. So uh, we think that might be a good motivational tool uh, and a way for you to sort of keep track of your BMP progress. So uh, Frank, we're super excited to release this. We're going to be doing a lot of outreach extension. We're going to send this physically to all the, the central and western New York courses so they'll have a nice... Yeah printed high quality document uh, and, and hopefully this creates a lot more awareness and, and implementation of some yeah. of these bmps yeah absolutely carl just just look, 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 it's some color here uh you know one of the things that we learned is we tried to make this simple right and i'm you know it's not criticism of the gcsa's facility guide um but that's a laundry list i mean you're going to sit there yeah. for hours working through that this is something you could sit to, through uh and if you you know this is a good first step to that Right. This will give you get you in the mindset, see what you're adopting. We whittled a lot of that down to the simplest things. So that's the first thing. Second is, you know, this was state funded. The DEC gives the money to the P2I people. So less people think the DEC doesn't want to partner with us. I think this is really important 
that we, we, we demonstrate our willingness to measure, not just uh, talk to talk, uh, but walk the walk. And Carl, right, the next step is we're going to come out now west of I-81. We're going to survey another 45 golf courses and say, you know, how, how'd you do here? Are you more aware? Have you adopted these things? Uh, where are we going? So we'll start that pretty soon, right? Yeah, so we're going to start that probably late May, hopefully, uh, but we'll start going out again, random survey. So really the idea was, you know, we've done this outreach and education for a couple of years. Uh, is there a measurable improvements in certain BMPs because we've created this awareness and understanding? So uh, it'll be interesting to, to look at those numbers, but we also understand, again, looking at ag, who's been doing this for a long time. Takes a long time. It's, just, it's a slow creep, right? And so okay. a lot of it's about awareness first, just being aware of yep. what's a BMP and why yep. should I do that? Exactly right. All right, great. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate that. Now, listen, we got a we got a great guest, and it's going to be a very lively conversation. So let me get through some of the weather quick. West and south of the region was above normal, right? It was warm uh, down in Virginia and all the way up in Buffalo, and then cool uh, east of the Hudson River and into New England, uh, below normal to the north and to the east. Now, soils are starting to really warm up, and we're going to, you know, a big shift is coming based on R.T. Gaetano was sticking his neck out this morning during the conference call, uh, talking about the weather really warming up in the next couple of weeks, and the models are very much confirming this. But right now, you're in the 40s if you're upstate, you're in the 50s if you're downstate and along the coast, and it's been actually pretty dry. And, Sean, down by you last month, it actually has been pretty, looks like it's been pretty dry down by you, but wet to the western part of the region, certainly along uh, the Great Lakes. But as I said earlier, uh, pretty good confirmation that we're coming into a pretty solid, maybe two-week period of uh, warm and dry weather. I, you know, Art says there's this uh, ridge uh, that's there's high pressure that's stuck over us now. That's re you know really is a signal of the changing climate as the gradient between the equator and the poles change. The, the weather patterns get fixed and, and they create things like an atmospheric river out west and uh, at least a two-week start of dry, warm weather, which means soils are going to warm. As they start to dry, right, they'll start to warm up a little bit to a certain point, and then they'll really start to match air temperature. Now, the conversation of the day, which you've already started because we took last week off, has been about annual bluegrass uh, seed head suppression, and we have really the guy who sort of revolutionized the changing of the way we think about it. Now, from our perspective, historically, we've gone with growing degree days uh, through the spring, right? There's various models. We have both a proxy and an Embark model that we, um, we keep on our forecast website that takes the data that others have done and the work that we have done, and it starts on a particular date. And a lot of people have used this model uh, to great success. Others use the growing the GDD tracker uh, this is Ron Calhoun, based on Ron Calhoun's work uh, many years ago out at Michigan State that was looking at these uh, base 32 growing degree days uh, for their work. And they've just applied it uh, across the Northeast region as well. So some, you know, there's slight variability when it's considered to be ideal and you're ahead or behind. But really, oh, and so as we introduce Sean Askew, Sean, I will congratulate you for um winning the be, being uh awarded a, as a fe, a recognized as a fellow of the that North just means Beach I'm Lisa. old Frank that just means yeah. I'm old really <laughs> well but see you know you're talking to somebody who that's the first professional association I ever joined uh when I was a master's candidate at URI back in the mid 80s 
Uh, I used to go with John Jagshits back then. So to me, this is a really high honor. There's, you know, like I do, some of these regional weed science societies, like the Southern Weed Science Society is really strong. I mean, it's it's as strong as the national in some ways. You you you're a fellow of this organization. You're in a, an elite group of, of really good weed scientists. So listen, here's the work we're talking about. You know that you ultimately published where you started these winter applications, locking in that seed head suppression, which seemed to make the spring applications uh, a little bit less important, although still important uh, to make at least one. Many will say, but some people might just be using the fall and not wanting to regulate in the spring. Now, this got taken out a little wider, right? And got published in 2019 as a, as a regional approach. And this was some of the data that came out. Now, you know, when you look at this, Sean, you know, you see untreated places like Connecticut, where I live and Fairfax, Virginia, down where you are, you don't spray seed head suppression in Utah, you get tons of seed heads. Right. But you come out to where I am now, out in Oregon, and it seemed like you don't get as many seed heads, or they weren't measuring as many through this process. Now, I was talking, it's so funny, I was talking to Brian McDonald yesterday, who's just doing some of this work. They're finding out here, the February application seems to lock it in like your uh, late season application. So can you talk a little bit, uh, of, first off, why is fall working? Is that when the flower's getting uh, initiated and you're holding it down there or are you stopping initiation? Well, you think about the genetic variability in pole, right? And how many uh, biotypes, phenotypes that are out there. So some of them are going to err towards sensitivity to winter warming. You get a warm spell in the winter. Some of those pole plants are going to kickstart what we call evocation. You know, the, what, the decision is made by the plant to produce a flower. Now, mm -hmm. The speed in the winter is so slow, it's gonna take that plant weeks to, to develop the tissue needed to actually start to push mm -hmm. that seed head out. But that decision, that which is hormonal based inside the plant, on some poa, it will be made just because of a few warm days in the winter. On other plants, they're gonna wait until a stronger push in the spring. Mm -hmm. So traditionally we've gone after those spring plants but never really realizing that there's a lot of these quote unquote decisions being made through the winter. And if we just back up an additional application, uh, we can catch most of those plants. And I believe this regional variability has to do with variability in phenotypes or biotypes across the regions. You got more perennial poa, you're gonna have less seed heads to start with. And, and you know, another thing that really probably factors into this, and I'm going out on thin ice here because there's not a lot of research to support this uh, comment, but I, we often see much stronger effects of products like proxy or ethafon-based products at our uh, university research sites than we do on golf courses that have used those products for 15 years running. And I do believe there's varying levels of uh, tolerance to the product because it's, hey, it's a seed head suppressor. We're weeding out the most susceptible individuals on those golf courses and the plants that remain it's probably going to take a little more aggressive approach or, or you're not going to be quite as effective. So we do get a lot of very, any seed head suppression work you do, no, no matter where it is, you're going to see variability temporally and spatially. And I think it has to do to all that genetic variability, but the, you know, backing up into the winter and putting that early app, 
-hmm. I think what it's doing is addressing the proportion of individuals that would have made the decision earlier. We're, we're, we're blocking them as well, because that's what ethafon does. It's a, it, it produces a lot of ethylene in the plant, and that's a hormonal suppressor of the decision to make a seed head. Has, has, and you know, now this has been out there for a number of years now. I mean, it's pretty standard guys are putting this out with their snow mold applications, uh, particularly in Northern climates. Um, has there, have you seen a downside to it? Last week when I was up at that walk and talk, he double covers those greens and he's got POA greens. Has there, you know, I'm wondering, does any downside to suppressing being under covers, uh, uh, more damage from ice? I haven't heard anything. Have you? I, I have heard of some, it takes some pretty, you know, it, in extreme places where you're already biting nails over losing poa annua to winter stress. Yeah. In those areas, I would, I, I can't tell you to what degree, I don't think it's a, a huge, massive magnitude of effect from ethafon, but it's not helping you. It's not helping you preserve mm -hmm. the survival of those poa plants that you don't want to check out on your timeline, you know, that uh, on any other timeline than your own. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I do think that there's a, a little bit of added stress to the POA. I haven't seen any evidence of added enough added stress to bent that we're actually concerned over mm -hmm. winter kill of bent. Mm -hmm. But um, so I would say it's a small effect, but it's a real effect that under extreme conditions, these early apps or these winter programs can increase the possibility of POA mortality during the mm -hmm. winter. Well, because there's no doubt, like we, I, we were walking around, Carl and I were walking around a black horse greens uh, at Beth Page last week. And, you know, they have make a fall app and they had made their spring app based on, on the models. And you can see the pole is regulated. And in fact, the bent was sort of, you know, growing up and, and not regulated as much. And you see that a lot at this time. I think people forget, oh, it's a seed head suppression and they forget it's, you know, it's a growth regulator. So, right. and, and it differentially uh, regulates growth, right? In some ways, that's sort of the nature of how herbicides work, right? 2,4-D really pounds the stimulation of the broadleaves and not the others. Now, since I brought up herbicides, we were very excited. Uh, I don't think we got the chat last year, so we'll catch up now. We're very excited about this being registered in New York State, and I just want to make sure everybody understands some of the P's and Q's uh, about using this, but I'll start out. I, I grabbed some slides from a presentation you gave a while ago just to set you up here today. One is Poe Cure actually does some seed head suppression. Right. Um, and I'm curious, is this a different control program uh, than you use for the spring and the fall, Sean? Tell me how you'd think about Poe Cure, albeit a fairly expensive seed head suppression product. Uh, what did you find when you looked at this for seed head suppression? Well, I, you know, it, it suppresses seed heads in a way that's kind of similar to the way Embark or Mefluidide used to suppress it. It, okay. it damages the POA plant, thus kind of setting it back and therefore, you know, having a, in, in most cases, a massive impact on overall seed head numbers. Mm -hmm. As soon as the plant starts to shake off the damage and grow again, if the season is still there, it'll start putting on seed heads as quickly as it can. So it's not really a long-term it doesn't work in the way that ethafon does hormonal suppression mm -hmm. of the decision mm -hmm. it damages the plant so much that the plant's working on this other stuff that it's got to fix and it, it really literally mm -hmm. doesn't have the energy to make a seed head is the way i would describe it but no okay, i would say good. our yeah. biggest concern regarding that seed head suppression arena is balancing 
our airification event in conjunction with a pole cure program, which again, the, the program is going to be much more geared toward pole control than it is seed ed suppression. Yeah, that's right. And that I'll just set you up for it because what you said is yeah. interesting. You get that sort of shock to the plant. And that's why I think sometimes wetting agents work. They yep. sort of burn and shock the plant. And as soon as, and then that seems to suppress them, at least for a little, little while. So, you know, you're saying, boom, you get a hit from this product. But as of course, we both know the elegance of this thing is it kills very slowly. Now I want to make sure, because I know there's a spring and fall and I know they've gone to a distribution model now uh, where they're selling it out through sales folks, where they were controlling it a little bit more. Can we go over the way you think about um, a spring program versus a fall program if you're really interested in embarking upon uh using cure to transition your greens to more perennial grasses? Yeah, so fall programs are much more powerful than spring programs. The standard is five applications in a year. This would be to uh, quote unquote renovate or to eliminate POA from a green. And uh, the, the goal is to dial it back, dial the power of the product back. The rates are designed to, to deliver a one to two year uh, effective control of POA. And that's a hard peel for most people to swallow. But the reason is, is that with variable environmental conditions and, and POA populations, if you get any more aggressive than that, then a lot of people are gonna be left holding, you know, that uh, uh, pitted turf surface bag. You know, they're gonna be, they're, they're gonna be left, they're gonna be screwed basically because uh, they've compromised the revenue source of the course. And you, you can't have that. We, we can deal with baby shit yellow uh, uh, POA we can, you know, because we've got colorants, we, we, we can deal with many things. Well, you can even deal with compromised putting surfaces with top dressing to an extent, but all of this stuff comes at a cost. And, and, mm -hmm. and so anyway, that we're trying to, they, we, the researchers and they, the company have kind of come to a decision to, to, to dial back the aggressiveness of this program. So Gee. two apps in the fall, that's where you normally get your kill. Three apps in the spring, the goal there is to suppress further expansion of the POA. If you start in the spring, what you're doing is where normally you would peak in spring at a maybe a 50 to 60% cover on your greens, POA care treatments in conjunction with that are pulling that down to maybe you'll peak at 30% cover. And you'll see a lot of discoloration, some other stuff, but you're not really getting death of the POA at that point. Then summer conditions come in and kind of keep the plant in check. And then next fall, it'll start to rebound. And then when we get on the treatment programs going into winter, we kill the plants, most of them. And, and you'll, if, if, if you're at a green that's uh, as high percentage of what I said, I know a lot of you folks are. Yeah. You're going to come out of that next season with some pitting and some compromised surface that you're going to have to be dealing with. But the goal is the spring programs reduce the overall population level so that it mitigates the intensity of the damage when we start killing the plants next fall mm -hmm. and into the winter. So that's kind of how it's designed. Uh, it doesn't always work that way. And you have to be on your P's and Q's with colorants and, and top mm -hmm. dressing. Yeah. Another thing is a lot of people get into this debate about you know, when should I airify and how do I balance when to apply the products around airification? And remember, hey, you don't have to airify this year if you're yeah. trying to literally renovate the greens from Poa Annua. You know, we can skip one year oh, of airification. Please. Your lips so to God's ears, right? Think about. And then the other one is Ethafon. Ethafon has a negative interaction with Poa Cure 
what mm. we've seen is that um, it it can uh, aerification or some type of mechanical injury event or heat stress. Ethifying can cause the plants. It can increase the uh, the response to that environment. And when Polacure is, and one of the big things that ethifying will do, we believe, is it causes uh, heightened root senescence. And if that happens while a Polacure program is underway, the roots that normally would regenerate quickly can't do so because they're coming back from the crown. There's Polacure up there. So until that product starts to dissipate, and as long as you're putting out repeat apps, those roots can't regenerate. Same is true if you're in the middle of a Polacure program and you come in and do a massive aerification with a really aggressive top dressing and, and uh, a lot of physical injury, shocks the plant, the plant loses roots, and normally one week later, you're back in business with those roots. But if Polacure is in place, you won't be. And so we don't see surface evidence of that typically. But if you start digging around while you're on a Polacure program and you're out there tickling the green weekly or you're doing needle tining and you're top dressing and these things that a lot of people normally do in their maintenance program to keep the, the, the highest quality greens, those things interact negatively with a Polacure program because normally you don't see this happening underground, but you're shocking the roots and they're rebounding. And, you know, overall, it's a stimulant for the plant. And you've got beautiful greens when you're doing these um, mechanical uh, uh, treatments. But when you throw Polacure in the mix, you're messing with the ability of the plant to fluctuate those root dynamics. And it's best to just stay away from those potentially injurious physical treatments while you're on a Polacure program. Okay, so what you're saying, this is very interesting. It's so, it's really nice that the thinking has evolved in, on this, Sean. It sounds like it, it was like, okay, you do it and it happens. And now it's like, you got to take your time because we've learned there are more situations where it doesn't work as well, or there's more damage than we'd expected. It's interacting with more things than we had expected. So, I mean, honestly, if, if you've had a lot of problems with winter damage, which is, I think, why this conversation's gotten more common, especially in the North. And, and you, you know, you got 50, 50 or 70% polar, 30% bank greens. And, you know, you, you know, you, you've had it and you, you can't regrass. This is, a, and I don't want to say a poor man's option because it isn't cheap, but it's actually cheaper than, you know, rebuilding the whole thing is if right. the soils are working, you're saying it's a year to two and that, but that doesn't mean you can't have good greens. It just means you've just got to be a little bit more mindful that when you impose stress, it could have a more dramatic effect. Right, yeah. I mean, pole cure, when, when it starts to regulate the pole and the pole goes off color, putting speeds actually increase. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, Frank, it's a very slow acting product. It, it, it takes 30 plus days before you start to actually get mortality of the pole. And that's 30 days that you can grow bent because it's not slowing the bent down. And so now that works great on a 15, 20% pole infestation but on a 60, 70% poa infestation, that's not enough time to cover that much area. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, some suffering is going to happen. Uh, it, it, arguably, it's, it's less suffering than a renovation, but, but some suffering is going to happen. So go into it knowing that if you're that high of a population level. And, and, you know, the company won't even sell you enough product to do your whole course unless you've already bought enough for a demonstration. Uh, and even even due to distri distribution, they maintain that policy. You have to sign a waiver. If you haven't already done testing on course, they like literally they're telling you, oh, you want to buy a pallet? No. You know, I'd love to take your money, but we're not going to take your money. 
this is what you need to do. This is what we recommend. And so, uh, you know, and, and, but they'll still allow you to do it. You just have to sign a waiver. If you've never evaluated the product on course, you have to sign a waiver to buy enough to do everything. Okay. So let's look at the other end and then, and then we'll see if there's questions. The other end is a lot of guys got new bent grass greens. Um, they got some, you know, uh, POA coming in. I'm starting to tell people, listen, you put new bent grass greens in, you probably could get by a couple of years with manual stuff, depending on the design and how they're working out, just poking and plot prodding. Then I would say the next level might be dabbing or spot treating with something like POA cure. Uh, maybe even trim it on the end of a dab could work as well when manual can't keep up. Mm -hmm. But when, you know, when you're starting to have, when you're starting to lose, right? You, before I even use POA cure, I'd probably say, listen, this area, it can't grow good grass. The POA keeps coming in. Let's fix this thing. I try to keep POA cure in my pocket as long as I could, but know that I don't want to let it get north of five, six, 10% if I want to use POA cure to really to be transparent, right? So that there isn't pain. And that's possible, right, Sean? So how much POA do you, how long will you let it go in these new greens before you? start a program where it's more than just dabbing so i, I so in the year of establishment i recommend not using uh pre-emerge type products anyway yeah. um if you're growing it in aggressively then and if you start clean then you shouldn't really have like you said frank you won't have serious problems until later on because people are moving it in it's coming in through a number of, of ways but if you start clean and that's how you need to do this. You, you don't want to be using herbicides in the year of establishment. But after that first year of establishment, my opinion is a really good way to use Polacure. Uh, most people are familiar with their PGR programs. Stay on those PGR programs, but supplement that with one spring application at 500 grams, the 0.6 mm -hmm. rate, and one fall application. And that gives you a very powerful residual component to to what you've always been doing and that'll take our you know six-year transition from renovation to oh crap we've got poa problems and and it could turn it if you manage it well it could turn mm -hmm. it into 12 plus years you know boy wouldn't it be nice that our renovations are based only on variety improvements and and not that's right know, losing the battle to poa that's but I, right. I think that's one way to do it is um within the first couple of years, go on and just supplement what you're doing with dabbing or with those, just the spring fall program, which is, you know, just those two apps in a year is far less than a PGR program in, in total cost. It's it's not quite as costly as the five app per year, you know, so. It's interesting. Um, it's exactly All right. two fifths of the cost. <laughs> All right, now listen, we didn't get to the cryogenic and the and the weights, and I didn't get to that drone work you Drones. did. So I might bug you again oh, man. Uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks to get you back on the other show because that stuff is cool. We've got some crazy cool stuff. You got going some on right now. Uh, you do. I mean, the cryogenic stuff is uh, every time I keep looking at it, it's looking better and better. Just imagine a golf course where you have robots that can dock to a a liquid air machine on your course, taking your air, turning it into liquid air, putting it into a robot, and then the robot's going out and spot treating plants. Can you get a better environmental profile than I borrowed air for a little while, made it cold, <laughs> killed weeds with it, and then I put it back into the air? Only <laughs> if it's solar-powered robot. Well, I, I, I'm working on that. I'm actually using one that I haven't tweeted on. We're using solar collectors. We're using parabolic mirrors mm -hmm. to concentrate sunlight to kill weeds. So it's-, oh, it's, it's We see I, this. 
Sean, we see this in New York City. Right, um, there's a couple of uh, turf areas I've worked on in New York City, even lawn roofs, where they're putting that glass that helps the birds not run into it. It right. really transmits heat down, and they've started to see impacts on turf quality. It's yep. part of the heat island effect as well. It's so fascinating. The stuff I've got uh, I, with one small mirror, about 12 inch diameter, I can melt glass in 15 seconds. So, if it, but a, you know, a human can't do it, but a robot can direct those things with the precision needed. Um, either that, of course, of course, there's a combustion issue with that. So, what I'm looking at is I'm using the uh, parabolic mirror to heat a probe. And then the probe is being stuck into the weed. And so it, it honestly, it's more of a marketing um, advantage than it is biological in terms of the solar collection. Uh, my backup is going to be butane for the probe. Uh, okay. to make sure that these robots can always work because we get cloudy days. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. some really yeah. fun ideas going uh, in that. Uh, arena. This is great. Listen. We got to go because we're past the time, but I can't, now we've teased everybody, Sean, because it, it, it's too interesting because as a weed scientist, I'm so pleased to see you work on these alternatives because you and I know herbicides are, are now on some sort of expiration date with not a lot of new chemistry coming. If we don't start thinking about this now, when those things stop working in another 15 or 20 years, we're not going to have anything. So these things that sound goofy are going to be pretty practical. Uh, yeah, I get in a lot of phone calls about years. these goofy things. I'm <laughs> telling you. Are, All right. People are backed into a corner, right? You know, they, yeah. they need other options. 100%. Sean, great. Thanks for taking the time during your vacation. I hope you get a hole-in-one yeah. on the putt-putt. Carl, get us <laughs> out of here. <laughs> yeah, thanks a bunch. Yeah, we'll get Sean back to the putt-putt course. Novel weed control strategies. Go follow Sean on Twitter. He's got a lot of cool stuff. Like he said, he's yeah. tweeting about the yeah. drones and the cryogenic stuff. I go give him a follow. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with uh, Dr. Aaron Patton from Purdue uh, chatting about lawn and landscape stuff. Uh, until then, right. take it easy, everybody. All right. This has been a production of Cornell University on the web at cornell.edu.